Do you know, it is so lovely to be here. And uh, ever since we arrived this morning, my wife and I have just received such a warm welcome from at least some of you. I don't know, others of you may be harboring issues towards me, but at least the people that I've met have been so lovely and warm. It's just been quite delightful. You know, nothing says we love you quite like a double shot flat white. And so, so I'm definitely feeling that love. And so I've also had another coffee this morning, so I'm not quite sure if it's the Holy Spirit in my life or the caffeine in my bloodstream, but I'm actually feeling really good. So as uh, Dino mentioned, my name's Richard Black. I head up an organization called Mind Health. And, and Mind Health is, is something that's designed to, to help empower people's lives and to help empower the church so that she can thrive and get on and change this world. You know, we hear that, that the word says that Jesus came that, that we might have life and have it in all its fullness. But, but I find people who, who struggle to experience the kind of abundancy that, that Jesus was speaking about. So I, I lead a team of people and we, we counsel, we coach, we supervise. Uh, we run different training events, all with the aim to help people to, to look below the surface of their mind to discover what's going on there that's setting them up to experience the kind of life they're currently experiencing and, and how to find truth that really does set them free. So I love what I get to do. You know, part of what God's laid on my heart as I, as I look not just inside the church but also outside the church is, is I long to see, I want to make mental health tools accessible to our five million people. I, I want to make tools accessible in the same way that everyone knows about when it comes to, to fitness and food. They all know about how you need to eat your five plus a day. But what's the equivalence in the area of our mental emotional health? And, and when that can become common knowledge, I think people's lives start to improve. And I find that the, the, what God has designed in your life, well, now that you can break through and break free into all that God has for you, you can be more of who God has created you to be, and you get to do more of what God has called you to do. And that, that just warms my heart. So as part of that, one of the things that I've also done is, is I've written a couple of books. One is, is the first in the Mind Health series called Centered, Knowing Who You Are in an Off-Balance World. And that's, that's around identity and how do we strengthen our sense of identity. The other book is a children's book that's called uh, There's a Happy Moon in My Side, which actually came about from a, a conversation I had with my four-year-old when uh, one night when she was upset and I said, honey, let's just get a good meal inside of you and get you to have a good night's sleep and that will put a happy mood inside of you. And she woke up the next morning and I said, sweetie, how are you today? And she said, daddy, there's a happy moon in my side. So this is a story of a girl called Lucy who discovers there's a happy moon and the journey. And so it's about helping children grow their emotional awareness and their resilience. Sorry, what was that? Did I bring any copies? Yes, yes, I did. Thanks for asking. And so they, they come and find me afterwards. We may have to find a sort of Switzerland area between this, this wall of sort of Western East Germany that seems to be taking place here. But we can make that happen. But as far as today goes, what, what really what I want to speak to you about, what I want to share with you, is just some of the, 
the basics of, of what we see that the Bible speaks to us about the kind of well-being that God wants for us and, and the how we get this well-being. You know, what I find is that there's, there's some scriptures that we find that are so familiar to us, and yet at times I find that we don't quite know how to crack them open how to really apply them and use them. So in many ways, that's what we're going to do, is we're going to take another look at some very familiar passages of Scripture to see what God wants to say to us, to take a a different look at them. But before I get into that, what I feel like I need to share with you, sort of from my own life, is something that may come as a surprise to many of you. It may even come as a shock to a number of you. But you see, I have not always been the paragon of mental and emotional health that you see before you. No, no, it's true. You see, I'm a white middle-class guy, and when I came to faith as a 16-year-old boy down in Christchurch, I became a white middle-class Christian guy. So it goes without saying, I had no problems. And I belonged to a white middle-class church, and we all got together, and we were all in agreement that we didn't really have any problems. You know, not real problems. Problems are what other people have that we will minister into. So you can imagine that when God put His spotlight and did a kind of reality check on my own mental, emotional well-being, (laughs) yeah, I was in for a rude awakening. When I discovered that I cannot blame other people for how I'm feeling, that I'm feeling this way all by myself, yeah, yeah, these were fun times. When I discovered that, that primarily the struggles that I was experiencing in life wasn't so much about what was happening outside of me, but what was happening inside of me, <laughs> yeah, happy times. And I remember afterwards, as I started to come to, uh, and become far more aware of, of what my issues were, I, I realized in the end, you know, actually, this was pretty obvious. I mean, why hadn't I seen my own issues before now? Why hadn't I be, had this sort of brought to my attention? And I felt like God say to me, well, Richard, let me put it to you like this. If you are an addict in a world of addicts, how do you know you've got a problem? Do you get that? And as I was looking and wrestling with this, this stuff in me, I also had to ask, Lord, but, but come on, why haven't I been changed before now? Why haven't I been fully transformed? I've come to faith. I love Jesus. I worship. I read my Bible. I do all the things that I'm supposed to do. So why am I still struggling with these things? Now, now don't mishear me. When I came to faith, God certainly did a work in my life. You know, it felt like the way I described it to begin with was it was like the Holy Spirit went through the different rooms of my being, one room at a time, to say, Richard, should we have a look at what's in this room? To which I would say to him, let's not. And he would work in different areas of my life. And, and, you know, I struggled with depression for at least the first 16 years of my life before I came to faith. And when I came to faith, my depression started to lift somewhat. But I still had some bouts of depression that followed after that. You know, and I also was struggling with uh, this this, this issue inside where I'd go, you know, I I wrestle with the fact, I hate the fact that I'm so thin-skinned. I'm so easily hurt. I'm so easily offended. And then I discovered that the speed at which you take offense is actually an indication of how mentally and emotionally unwell you are. (laughs) The joy just kept on coming. 
And as I'm wrestling with what's going on in me, I then finally look up and look around and I realize it's not just me. I'm surrounded by people in our churches where I see that they're struggling in a similar kinds of way. I see people who, who, who really want to love each other. They just don't like each other very much. We're, we're this conflict that's going on, and, and they want to be able to resolve the conflict well, but they're struggling to do so. Now, to be fair, we all know how to resolve conflict badly, don't we? And we can do that on a regular basis. But to resolve conflict well, I mean, that just takes a whole different skill set. You know, I'd see people who love the Lord with all their heart, but they're still wrestling with issues of anxiety and depression. I would see people who, who would lose themselves in worship on a Sunday and then just go home and repeatedly yell at their kids and struggle to get their anger under control. I would see people who were part of the worship band who, in fact, were secretly self-harming. I would see people who had been serving the Lord faithfully for years but were still caught up in different habits and addictions, still caught up in their habit eating, still caught up in their pornography, still caught up in all of these issues. And again, I had to say, Lord, why is this? And I felt like he said to me, well, you see, Richard, in many ways, it's because we've forgotten where real transformation comes from. You know, like I said to you, we know a number of the Scriptures, but we don't quite know how to apply them. And so that's really what I want to do with you this morning, is just take you on a, a bit of a, a Bible tour of what the, the Scriptures talk to us about mental, emotional health, and, and to find some tools that are, are, are there for our own well-being. Does that sound okay? It does to four people over here. I've lost this side. Yeah, that's right. I see those hands. So let's take a look at some of these scriptures. You know, one of the, the, the famous ones here comes from John 8, where we hear Jesus say, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, it's interesting that Jesus didn't say that prayer ministry would set you free. And yet, I love prayer ministry. Nor did he say that a tithing campaign would set you free. And I love that a whole lot less. <laughs> and to be fair, nor did he say that counseling would set you free. What he said was truth will set you free. So when you encounter truth, wherever you encounter truth, if it is the truth, then freedom comes. But of course, that begs the question, what's the specific truth that you need? that's going to bring the freedom that you need. And this is why when we, we carry on and we read in, in, in Romans 12, that, that it says that, that we are to be transformed through the renewing of our mind and not through the removal of our mind, as many Christians seem to think. You know, that what goes on between our ears is in fact um, incredibly important in our own spiritual and emotional well-being. Where does transformation come? It comes when our mind discovers and encounters the, the renewal that God wants to bring. Now, one of the things that I find as I look across the church is, is one of the difficulties that we've had is that through the, the generations, we've, we've in many ways, we've created a kind of dualism. Where on one hand, we've, we've put this kind of spiritual world, 
as if it's separated from this, this other world, this world of the mental, emotional health. We've sort of separated them out. And we've, we've looked with a lot of suspicion on this world of mental, emotional well-being, you know, this world of the psychologists and the counselors and the, the psychotherapists, and understandably so. I mean, there's been a lot of wacky things said by a lot of wacky people. And so what we've done is we've separated these two out. We've wanted to answer everything from our spiritual zone. I mean, this is our zone. We know this zone. We own this zone. This is our zone. This is the world of prayer, of Bible reading, of fasting, and laying on of hands, depending on your denomination. And we've tried to answer everything from this side. And when we haven't quite been able to do it, We've jettisoned people over to this other world, this world of the mental, emotional health and counselors and psychologists. And we just hope that our people will come back slightly normal with their faith intact. As if these two are, are, are mutually exclusive. They're not. They are inextricably connected. Transformation comes through the renewing of our mind. And you see in this, one of the other difficulties that I find, and it's not just for us in the church, but we also see outside of it, is, is that we have got this kind of binary sense as well, that, that, that either you are mentally healthy or you're mentally unhealthy, as if you're one or the other. And most of us are trying to pretend that we're definitely in the mentally healthy camp, because who wants to be on the other side? And so we keep pretending, but one of the things that we understand is far from this being an either-or, that this is a continuum, people, and we are all on the continuum somewhere. You know, if I, if I said to you or previously, you know, so what's the area in your life that you still need to work on? You know, previously people may have said, you know, if I examine my life, if I look at what's going on, do you know what? I can't really put my finger on anything. We used to call that, that's because you're mentally well. Now we call that denial. Because an indication of your mental, emotional intelligence and health is your ability to name where your growth edge is. And that's one of the things that we need to understand that, that can also help us. That we are transformed through the renewing of our mind. The, the word there is an ongoing state. It's not just a one-off. So the question there is that, that in your life and in your spiritual walk and, and in every aspect of what God is trying to do in your life, where... Are you on that continuum? Because we certainly know we haven't reached perfection yet. And so the other scripture of, of we are transformed through the renewing of our minds, so we need to know that our spiritual world and our mental emotional world are inextricably connected. They speak to each other. And this is why at times in, in another verse that we see here, that, that in many ways is, is a seemingly innocent little verse. Although, to be fair, all Scripture seems a little innocent at first blush, doesn't it? Until you take a closer look. And this is where it says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Or liberty, depending on your translation. Now, what that also means is that when you examine your life, wherever you're not experiencing freedom, then guess what? The Holy Spirit isn't present there, not to the degree that he wants to be. Now, why would that be? Because he is the spirit of truth. 
And when we unconsciously, unwittingly are holding on to a belief, a lie that works against him, we quench the work of the Spirit. And this is why I work with many people where I can hear in their heart cry that, that they're crying out, Lord, deliver me, save me, release me from this. And for many people, it's like they're up against a locked door longing for God to come in and bring that transformation. And it's like God is pressed up against that locked door wanting to come in. But what people don't realize is they're the one that holds the key to unlock the door, to allow the Spirit in. You see, I'll meet people who, when I speak with them, and I follow it down deep down in the core of their being, they carry this belief that something like, actually underneath it all, I just feel like I'm a disappointment to God. So it doesn't matter how many times they hear about God's love in their life, it just washes off them, and they're probably left in their, their depressed state. When I meet other people, and I follow it down, and, and we, we come across a sense that deep down, you know, I only feel as good as the, the things that I've achieved of what I've been able to attain. So it doesn't matter how many times they hear about the grace of God. It washes off them, and they're left in their state of anxiety as they now need to perform and prove themselves yet again. There'll be people I come across there, and deep down they believe in the core of their being. Do you know, if you really got to know me, you'd discover there's something wrong with me. I'm really not that good. There's something faulty in me. So it doesn't matter how many times they hear that they are beloved child of God. It washes off them, and they're probably left with a sense of self-doubt and self-hatred. And you see, as we recognize that, it's not until we help people find, what's the lie you've been holding on to? What's the lie you've been sold? And bring truth that really does set you free, that you open up the door, and the Holy Spirit comes in to bring His transformative power. So how do we do some of that? Well, I want to take you to one more passage of Scripture, and we're going to sort of camp around this passage. We want to sort of take a deep dive into this passage and sort of suck the marrow from the bone so that we get what God is telling us in this area. And that's in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. And here we read that the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought, and we make it obedient to Christ. Now, in this passage, we're going to break it apart, and we're going to have a look at some of the things in here. But one of the things I need to say sort of to start with is a kind of disclaimer in this. That in the same way that no one expects you to do your own root canal, but we do expect you to clean your teeth quite twice a day. What we're going to see here is that this is skills that, that we see in this passage to teach us a bit of brain brushing. But some of you, many of you may have some deeper issues that are more like root canal issues, which you're going to need someone else's help. So I'd encourage you to, to contact a professional for them. 
But for this, this is about giving you some tools to do some brain brushing. You with me? Again, front row is, I've got no one else with me. That's great. All right. So let's have a look at this passage. Now, the first thing I want you to get, the first thing I want you to see as we look at this passage is so obvious that oftentimes we can miss it. The first thing I want to ask you as we look at this passage about the, how we are given the, these divine weapons to demolish the strongholds, let me ask you, who is to use these divine weapons? We are. We are to use them. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly frustrating because I would much prefer to be able to say, Lord, you know what's going on in me. You know where all my rubbish is. You know where all my baggage and my issues are. I'm going to sleep right now. So if you could sort me out by the time I wake up, that would be excellent. But he very rarely seems to do that because our God tends to want to work with us to work in us so that he can work through us. And so we need to understand, let's not jettison the place of responsibility that God has given us to partner with him in this. Now that's the first thing. The second thing, which I find really fascinating, is that these divine weapons are there to de demolish strongholds. And strongholds definitely carries a kind of spiritual sense to it. And yet what's so interesting is that word strongholds in the Greek can also be translated house of thoughts. I mean, what's a stronghold in many ways? It's a mentality. It's a mindset that's got a foothold in you. Because as we look at the rest of the passage, which gives context to that as well, the, the stronghold involves the arguments and the pretensions that we are to demolish. We are to demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, that sets itself up against the knowledge of who our God is, that sets itself up against the knowledge of who our God says we are, that sets itself up against the knowledge of what our God says is true. And so in this, as we look at what the rest of this passage says, there are four key points four key tools, four key steps that, that we see here that we can use for some daily brain brushing. And I've made sure and I've worked really hard to make them all begin with A. So I want you to be impressed with that, okay? So let's take a look at what these, these four are. The first one there is awareness. You see, if we're going to go to work, if we're going to demolish these strongholds, we've first of all got to become aware of what they are, of what's going on inside of us. Too often I'll find that people are just going and rolling with a kind of autopilot in their life. And so much so today, if I talk with people, they'll say to me things like, well, Richard, you've got to understand, of course I act like this, of course I behave like that, of course I think and feel like this, because that's my personality type. To which I'll say to them, did it ever occur to you, this isn't your personality. This is your prison cell. And it's time to step out of it. So to, to get there to begin with, we first of all got to become aware of what are we thinking. You know, there's a chatter that's going on in your mind constantly. As you sit here, as you listen to me, as you go off, as you may do some chores or some housework or you go to work or you go to uni or kindy or wherever you end up going, 
And your mind is constantly talking to you. And one of the first key steps to grow your awareness and your mental emotional health is to listen in to the chatter of your mind and what you're saying to yourself. Because the chatter of your mind isn't who you are. It's how you've been conditioned to speak to yourself. So let's be aware of what we are thinking and telling ourselves. And the other part of why we need to get awareness is we need to get awareness around what we are feeling. And in this, what I find is, especially in the church, but not just here, that we can fall into the trap of two different sort of pitfalls when it comes to our emotions. So one pitfall is where people fall into the trap of of indulging their emotions. So when they feel what they feel, they sit in what they feel, they chew over what they feel, they marinate in what they feel. They like what they feel, and they want you to hear what I'm feeling so that you can feel what I'm feeling, and we can feel this together. Because if you really cared about me, you would feel what I'm feeling with me. So we've got those on that side. But then we've got the others on the other side, who in many ways are are the the good old, uh, old-time Christians, who know, never trust an emotion. And so one of the things that they've developed is they've learned to build a wall between them and anything to do with that strange thing called feelings. So if I come across a feeling, I know just to jettison it over the wall. And, but I can't feel the feeling. I mean, you could poke me if you like, but I'm pretty much numb from the head down. And, and what they don't realize, though, is that when you deny what you are feeling, it is just a different version of indulging what you're feeling. Now, why is that? Because you're still getting bullied by the emotions. You're still getting driven by the emotions. It's just that you are unaware of them. You know, in the same way that if you had a broken ankle and we jammed you full of an anesthetic, well, you could walk on the broken ankle, but it would be broken bone grinding on broken bone. And so what we've all we've done is we haven't actually healed the issue. We've simply numbed ourselves to the issue. But the place where we need to start is we just need to get honest with what is going on, with what we are feeling, not to indulge it and not to deny it. You see, the Bible says that God is light and in Him there is no darkness. There's no darkness, there's no pretense, there's no faking. When you are getting deeply honest, you're actually in a very sacred place. God will meet you wherever you are when you come to Him in honesty. And so we start in this place of honesty, the start in this place of awareness of what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. And then the second thing that we need to do is arrest what's going on inside of us. The Bible says that we are to take captive every thought. So that just because things are going inside of us, we don't just let them carry on. We, we arrest them. We hold them. We, we assess them. It's sort of like a border checkpoint to make sure none of those Aucklanders are getting through. You know, we've got to make sure that what is in us isn't necessarily carrying a virus that we don't really want. And this is what we're looking for here is, is in many ways what the psychologists refer to as Ants, automatic negative thoughts. 
You know, you hear something, someone looks at you in a certain way, something happens, and you know how to respond. You know to give yourself an automatic response that's negative. For some reason, we tend to believe what's negative more than what we would call positive. And so we go, yeah, of course this has happened to me. Uh, It always happens to me. This stuff happens to me. I'm powerless. No one likes me. They're rejecting me. Uh, This is hopeless. I can't do anything. Your brain gets conditioned to give you these automatic responses, these ants. Now, a few years ago, when my wife and I, when we were living here in Upper Hutt, and as you will well know, um, there are actual ants. So you've got to keep many things in the fridge. And on this occasion, Jennifer had made this absolutely gorgeous banana cake covered in chocolate icing with chocolate hail. And we had a slice of it, and it was delicious. And then once we got to the end of it, uh, there was this kind of look that happened between us, which was like, do you want another piece? And I'm thinking, don't mind if I do. So we get up to go back into the kitchen to get another slice of this gorgeous banana cake. And of course, what do we see? A trail of ants all the way to the cake. And my friends, so we busily trying to pull them off. But do you know what? A chocolate hail and an ant look surprisingly similar. And you know in a banana cake, that ribbon of, of banana that's through it looks surprisingly like squashed ants. So we're going, you know, is this chocolate hail? Is this an ant? Is this banana? Is this an ant? In the end, we went, oh, we don't know. And so we had to dump the rest of the cake. And you see, my friends, in many ways, this is what ants do in in our mindsets. They come in to rob the joy and the peace and the contentment that God wants to give you. And so we need to arrest these ants and also follow them back to their nest. Because, of course, with every ant that you see, how many do you not see? You know, lots. And so we need to find what's the nest, what's that deep belief that we're holding on to that's generating these in the first place. So once we're aware, and now that we're arresting them, now we move to the next part, which is to answer back to those beliefs, those lies that are not from Him. And, and, and in this place, we want to bring the truth. We want to take captive the thought and make it obedient to Christ, to the one who is the truth. And so part of that is, is we, this is at the point that, that when we can bring that truth to that specific point of, of that belief that, that's roaming around inside of us, now freedom will come. Although one of the things that, that we need to understand here is that as we are seeking for, Lord, what is the truth here? What does your word say? What is it that you want me to get? What is it that you want me to understand in this point? What is the truth that will bring freedom at this point? We need to know that as we go looking for the truth, there is a difference between a right answer and a real answer. And what I find is that, you know, as good Christians, we can be very good at coming up with all the right answers. If we've got a theological problem, if we've got a lie that someone's believing, well, look, I could give you a number of scriptures. I can tell you what the truth is. But for many people, that is the right answer. It's not the real answer. And the difference is that with the real answer, the real answer in many ways is a right answer, but it's an answer that I can connect with, I can absorb. You know, a number of years ago when I was feeling down and out of sorts, someone said to me, Richard, what you need to understand is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, is that true? It so is. Did that help me? Not in the slightest. 
But as I sat with that, and I thought, so what does that even mean? And I started to, to, to marinate in it. I started to mull it over and dwell on it. I realized what it's saying to me is that I've been dreamed up by God before the world was even laid. That He wants me in His life and on this planet. That in fact, I realized that as I've been brought onto this planet and made, His fingerprints are all over me. That, that I have worth and value before He ever said or before I ever said or did anything. Now, did that start to help? It really did. So in one sense, what's the difference between a right answer and a real answer? Maybe just 10 minutes of meditation. I mean, the Bible tells us to meditate on the Word. And at times in our Western culture, we can get so caught up in knowing what the truth is, bringing in information, that it all happens so fast that it just bounces off the surface. But we need to engage with the truth slowly. Why is that? Because change happens in the slow. Change happens as we meditate on truth, as we move into that contemplative, that, that mulling it over place, so that the deep parts of our being get what he's really saying to us. And the last part is, we actually now need to apply this. We need to walk it out. We need to live it out. We need to operate in it. Because we are to take captive every thought and make it obedient, make it work according to who Jesus is. So now that you know this truth, now that you are wrestling with this truth, now that you are allowing your defenses to lower and absorbing this truth, how are you going to act differently to encourage your mind to get in a new way of being? And it may seem odd, and it may seem weird, and it may seem strange because it's not what you're used to. We get far too familiar with the issues that are weighing us down that we continue to believe that's just who we are. We need to dare to step away from what is familiar and what feels so strong that we would start to live out and walk out all that He has made us to be. Are you with me? Let's become aware Let's arrest, let's answer, and let's apply the truth that we may discover greater freedom in Him. Can I get the band back now, please? My friends, let's just pray where you are. And in fact, as we just center on the Lord right now, I just want you to turn your attention to Him. And I want you to ask Him, Lord, where do you want to bring freedom in my life? And listen to what he reveals. Is it with your anxiety? Is it with your low mood? Is it with your comfort eating? Is it with your pornography habit? Is it in the conflict you have with others? Is it in your debt? Lord, where do you want to bring freedom in my life?
And I also want you to ask, Lord, as you highlight that area, I need your help. What do you need me to get? What is the truth that you're trying to speak to me? And listen for what he's saying to you. Whatever you hear from him, lower your defenses and allow that truth in. In areas where you know there is something that has got stuck, who do I need to go to for help? Because our God's desire is never to leave you in a place where you're stuck, but it is always to set the captives free. And we're going to have, I believe there are going to be elders on either side here, that if you want someone to to pray with you as well, to partner with you in this, I just encourage you to come to the front and, and prayer is going to be offered. But Father, as we gather under your smile, I want to thank you that we get to be your kids and that your heart is full of love towards us and never condemnation. Lord, we want to thank you that in Jesus, you've taken care of everything that ever stood between us and you. And now, Lord, we pray, continue to do your redeeming work in us. Lord, encourage us and help us to partner with you. Lord, and my prayer is that you would pour more of your spirit of truth into every one of us here. And Lord, you would highlight where lies have got caught. And Jesus, you would bring your truth that really does set us free. So come, Holy Spirit. Come and dwell. Come in power. Come and highlight and illuminate. Come and equip. And come in the power of Jesus to unlock prison doors and set your captors free. That we would live in greater freedom in you. With greater abundance of all that you want for us. Thank you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.